Um, I also I also sent you guys the outline if you want the outline to just kind of read along. It has some fun talking points. Does it have snacks in it? You know, I've, I've been thinking about how to digitize so snacks. <laughs> go uh, get a snack. Yeah, go grab a snack. No, no, no. Let's just get, let's do it. Hello, and thank you for joining the IPG Media Lab up here on Floor 9. I am your host, Scott Elchison, and I'm joined, as always, with Christina Anjanli. Hello. And Adam Simon. Hello. From our uh, IPG Media Lab uh, strategy team. So welcome. Glad to have everybody here. Um, Developer season continues this week. Uh, Google I.O. kicked off on Tuesday, and boy, did they have a lot to say. And the real question is whether they'll ship everything they said. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I want to get everybody's initial thoughts on Google I.O. this year. It's the second developer conference that we've had um, after F8, and we've got one more to go um, with uh, WWC coming up in June. Um, so, Christina, Adam, who would like to go first? Just give me your uh, initial thoughts on the, what was announced on Tuesday. Uh, I, I thought it was interesting. It, you know, Google always demonstrates a lot of um, really advanced technology on stage. Uh, they obviously are pressing forward a lot in... Um, AI and with Google Assistant, and I think that um, a lot of the stuff that they demonstrated is awesome. Uh, the question, as we, as you alluded to, and as we always have um, when it comes to uh, keynotes from Google and Facebook, is when will these things ship, and how quickly will they sort of be mass adopted by, uh, especially the things like Google Assistant that are very Android-driven. Um, by the time some of, some of these things trickle down to uh, mainstream Android phones, uh, you know, some of the competition might have had a chance to catch up. Uh, so right. that, that's always the big question coming out of these things. But they had, uh, they did a good job, I think, demonstrating uh, their lead in um, assistant technology and yep. how they're they're pushing uh, even further ahead. Um, and uh, yeah, some cool demos and some interesting, uh, e- in terms of adoption, uh, interesting pricing on new devices to try to uh, maybe spur wider adoption faster. Right. And the one thing I'll, I'll note about the assistant quickly is that it seems like it's coming to Pixel phones first. And then from there, it's going down to uh, the different Android devices. Yep, that's always the case always with, the case. Uh, with Assistant because Pixel is the, the ones that Google controls, so they can um, launch things quickly there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the big question is uh, there's not entirely still a business model figured out for Assistant. Um, so it also, I think, uh, is useful for them to be able to show off um, a sort of premium experience, um, but uh, as of right now, uh, not disrupt too much their core business of, uh, of search on the web. I actually think that ties into my reaction to it as well. Um, I thought what was impressive is this next step towards connecting the different Google mm. apps to give more relevant um, experiences and recommendations for consumers. So you can imagine um, that assistant can look at your calendar, it can look at your Gmail to understand who was invited to a certain event or whatever it is, and can give you um, tailored recommendations based on kind of that linking across maps and mail and calendar. Um, And I think the point that ties back, Adam, to what you said was they're developing it consumer first, which I think is the right way to go about it. Um, I think monetization can come and they certainly still need to figure it out. But I do like that it's providing additional value to consumers. And I liked that they had a focus on that. Um, I do think when I, when I say that they're linking experiences across apps or across services, I don't think that Google necessarily will go for an ecosystem play in the same way that an Apple would. I think 
it's in Google's best interest to maximize scale and maximize usage so that they can collect even more user data. I don't think this leads them to a closed ecosystem, but um, I do think the linking across is very valuable. I think that we can maybe jump into this <laughs> down the road, but I do think that um, the ecosystem thing is interesting because certainly Google does have to play with um, more third parties in terms of integrating things like your travel schedule and um, from from your email and things like that. And they do a good job of that because of their, uh, you know, roots in in web search and being able to crawl and understand all kinds of data that way. But I do think that they are not a, certainly as much as Apple, but they are headed more towards um, of ecosystem lock-in, um, in the sense that um, Google Assistant um, is going to work a lot better on Android, and even though there is not a direct business model for Assistant yet, maybe the short-term plan is just that it makes Android more attractive. Um, and it's certainly not going to work as well on an iPhone where it doesn't have as much visibility into as much of your data. Yeah. And I would say, Christine, to your point about uh, Google and collecting data, like they were very upfront about that this year. Like they were saying, hey, here's where we're collecting data and here's how we're using it. But I think they're a great example, of, like you said, of how to actually tell a consumer there, that you're using data and here are the exact ways that we're going to use it and they've been very transparent with it um, which I think is a big step forward um, and it may be also a continued theme that we're seeing across you know all the different um, major tech platforms because privacy is now a big um, you know important uh, kind of talking point for all of them so it's uh, exciting to see this uh, kind of continue forward. Um, I do think we've seen research that backs up uh, what the way that Google's moving in that consumers when they feel like they're data is one, secure, and two, that they know how their data is being used. But we've seen research that indicates that consumers are willing to give up data when those criteria are met in order to receive either personalized recommendations or additional customer service or whatever it is. And so I think the point about being transparent about how they're using the data is the key point there. Yep. I also think they did a, a lot of selling of we are using your data to make new and in, new and more powerful products for you to use. Um, and, and then it's obviously they weren't talking about the um, how that impacts the ad targeting on the back end, um, but it was trying to justify that for consumers. Yeah, and I think you know just to kind of wrap it all together, it felt very utilitarian to me. It seemed like Google really came out and saying, "Here's how we're helping you. Here's how we're using your data to help you, and here are all the products that are, you know, that we've been working on that are going to be iterated, um, kind of working on some more like it's like incremental innovation to improve your daily routines, your home, uh, what you do on your phone." Um, and it felt good to me. You know, I felt uh, you know excited about what they announced. Um, so with that, let's just jump into uh, the first section that I want to talk about um, of the different announcements at this year's Google I.O., uh, which uh, revolves around the camera and all the different camera updates that they had. So they had some updates to Google Search, the Lens product, and Google Maps. And we'll start with Google Search. So um, with Google Search specifically, uh, we will now have 3D models will surface within Google Search results. So for example, they showed a New Balance shoe uh, that popped up. And then you could actually play with that. And it was actually a whole 360 um, AR object that you can uh, mess around with. Uh, and all of that is actually being powered by Sketchfab, a big fan of the lab. Um, so lo lo love what they're doing. And additionally, uh, you can now view 3D models that are surfaced in search through AR. Um, so if you, for example, uh, saw a picture of a shark that was a 3D model, you could actually ex extrapolate that out into uh, the real world and see the full shark, uh, you know, first like in scale uh, right in front of you 
um, which is pretty exciting. And so I think, you know, with this, again, like this leans into that really like that utilitarian use case of AR that we've seen. The utilitarian putting a shark in the park. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, it was really the thing that was holding me back uh, all along was not being able to pull a, a 3D shark out and just place it in the real world anywhere I it was. That was really holding me back. Uh, so now that, now that we can do that, uh, I feel like we've just increased human productivity exponentially. I, I'm, I'm joking, I'm joking. It, but it's... It, I think that it is, you know, there there are, this is just, a, it's a step forward in the right direction. Mm -hmm. um, we're still trying to figure out what AR is good for, what people want to use it for, and certainly putting it front and center in Google search results and uh, included in, in the knowledge graph information that shows up as part of search results is really going to get more and more people accustomed to using AR in their day-to-day -day lives. Can I ask you a question? No. I, ju <laughs> I just don't know the, the technical or the privacy regulations around this, but are they able, so if I put a, for example, the New Balance example, they had it up against a shirt mm -hmm. so you could see how it matched with that shirt. Are they then taking the pictures that people generate and analyzing that? And why I ask is because I think you can start to piece together where in the consumer journey someone is using visual search, whether that's to see if a New Balance shoe matches the new pants that they have or whether that's they want to see the shoe um, and related shoes. I guess with the AR use case, it's more does this match or does this fit? Yeah, um, it's, it's not exactly the same as visual search. My guess is for visual search that they have to capture that image, right? Because they're processing it to understand um, what you're looking for uh, in and and I'm sure that the the end user agreements include the ability for them to store those images so that they can improve the search results over time for AR they don't technically have to do that but I don't think we know in this use case um, it's if you know if they are saving those images or using them for anything else I don't know uh, this is not actually live yet so <laughs> as we we were saying who knows exactly when it will be live but um, we will see, I guess, uh, if if there is some kind of disclosure around saving those images. But how powerful is that, though? If they're able to see, is this a discovery thing? Is this a point of purchase thing? Is it top of funnel, bottom of funnel? If they can figure that out from visual search or even what images they're ingesting and to determine what kind of ads they serve or what kind of messages they're able to put in that um in that image, if that's how they choose to monetize it, I think could be huge. Yeah, potentially. Yeah, I mean, it, we're seeing a lot of, you know, Google, I think, is really trying to innovate on their search and their search results um, because not only have they announced that, but they announced like a few other things that we'll talk about, like the podcasts and whatnot that are going to be surfaced in these uh, Google search results. So, like, I think they're really trying to improve or, you know, figure out what that next level of search will be and how that will, like you said, impact their advertising business and where it actually stacks up in the uh, larger marketing funnel. So it'll be interesting to uh, to see that all shake out. Uh, but notably also Apple last year, they also announced their Apple Quick Look feature, which is similar to what Google announced today, which will allow you to actually take an object from like an e-commerce website and put that in front of you or on a, on a shelf next to you. So if you wanted to see what it would actually look like in your room. Um, so we're, we're starting to see these kind of use cases crop up. Again, I don't think that has shipped either, but my guess is it shipped. I just don't know that anybody used it. I think it was a feature in uh, iOS 12. Um, I just don't think that anybody adopted it. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you and know, in this case, we're off to a slow start then. <laughs> I mean, in this case, it is Google sort of 
doing the piecing together of the 3D models with the information from search. Right. So in this case, I'm, I'm more confident that it will show up in, in some places um, because it's not requiring a, a, you know, a, a brand necessarily to go in and provide those assets. But um, TBD. TBD. Well, let's just move straight into uh, the lens updates that were announced. Uh, so for now, we have, I think, one of the most exciting features that I thought Lens could do now is it can read a menu and it'll highlight the popular dishes on that menu. Uh, so it kind of helps you filter you know, what you want to order. But then from there, you can actually click and then look up what the items look like at a restaurant. Um, I think that's just fantastic. I'll never not take a photo of my food again. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's surfacing uh, UGC uh, of those individual dishes from the restaurant, which is pretty cool. Uh, my question is, how many restaurants is that going to work for? Because um, obviously they they need to do some work to connect a photo with a description on the menu of the item. I, this one is a little bit of a, it's a very cool demo, but I'm not clear to me how they're going to make that work at scale for, you know, millions of restaurants around the world. Yeah. Oh, I have, <laughs> I'm right there with you. I've got no idea. Uh, the second product they announced was that you can now use the Google Lens to calculate the tip uh, on a bill that you receive from a restaurant. Um, so it takes a picture of it. It uses its you know visual recognition, and then it can say, you know, the total bill was X amount. Here's the 20% tip, and then it kind of calculates everything for you. Um, pretty unique use, like pretty unique use case of what the Google Lens product can do. Um, but again, I don't know if it's anything, you know, brand activating is kind of a again more more utilitarian interesting yeah although talk about data that google might want how much money people are spending at restaurants at individual restaurants um or what they're spending they're, on I, I don't know if they're capturing that but you know talk about something that they might want i do think when you think about their increased focus on shopping though mm -hmm. um and when i think about things like how much you're spending on mm -hmm. restaurants that could potentially tee up a play in some kind of digital wallet where they could be the disintermediation layer between the retailer and brand and the consumer. Yeah, theoretically. It it's <clears throat> could could just be a short jump to just pay this bill with your something in your Google wallet. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Yep. What I where I thought they were going with the restaurant, uh, the scanning the menu which is something that I personally have wanted, and I think we've talked about this before, the um, just identifying what um, menu items are. Like, they, I know it'll show you a picture of the finished recipe, but sometimes you see a list of things that are in a dish, and it's you might not know what one of them is, and just telling you what that is is, I feel like, a fairly common use case of people using, looking things up on their phones at restaurants. I have been there multiple times. Yeah. Yeah. So, I... I mean, I can see Christina it. knows what everything is. Yeah. She's very skeptical <laughs> <Yeah>. of this. <laughs> she's our chef. She's the one that is always uh, bringing the excellent meals in for lunch. So. It's eggs in a foil tray. <laughs> 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 um, well, they also announced uh, some visual experiences that are integrating with some publishers. For example, Bon Appetit. Uh, you can pull up the Google Lens uh, product and actually scan the recipe or uh, the image in the actual print magazine and it'll actually pull up a video of how like that uh recipe is coming to life um so interesting kind of you know digital uh play there uh and then lastly they have the google go which was the for the entry level 
uh, phones. It was like kind of the slimmed down version of uh, their Google Lens product, which allowed the camera to read signs and say it out loud. So that way you can kind of translate um, whatever a sign might be. Uh, and then you could hear it. So for example, um, what they had showcased was there was a woman who lived in India that couldn't read. And now she was able to actually go and live her daily life by herself, scanning different items or different signs to buy tickets or, you know, pull out bank, bank statements, uh, whatever it might be. So I think that kind of goes back to, again, Google really showing off what they can do from a, you know, helpful, here to help standpoint. Yeah, I think the emphasis also is that they are bringing these technologies to low-end phones, which is something that they brought up multiple times uh, throughout the event, um, in that they're, uh, they're all, all of these technologies are either now or eventually will be available on commodity $35 Android phones um, in the developing world. And I think that that is obviously part and parcel with Google's business model where they need to serve everybody, and they, they talked about that a lot right. um, at this event. Right, absolutely. So I got a question for everybody here, kind of thinking about how these, you know, like lens updates are going, how Google's looking at AR, like how do we see visual search continuing to grow? Like how do we see AR continuing to grow? I think it's a chicken and the egg thing. I would argue that consumer adoption might not be high because there hasn't been a ton of development in the true mass fashion put behind it. I think something like visual search Users, I mean, Pinterest lens was earliest and they still are trying to figure out what the lens product is and how consumers are using it. So I think it's just early. I think consumers are starting to get their feet wet with how to use it. And it's one of those things where um, consumers might not know how to use it, but then it'll become kind of subconsciously a part of their life. And they'll think about how they've never, how could I have ever lived without this potentially? Um, like vo we're seeing in voice. Um, so I would expect the next iteration, I think of visual search is integrating commerce more seamlessly in visual search. I could see, um, Instagram doing that. Snapchat's obviously making moves in that with their Amazon partnership. Um, and I think that's kind of the next iteration here that I see in the space. But before then we need to figure out that assumes that consumers are using visual search to transact and to our earlier point it's still to be seen whether visual search is a discovery awareness type thing or a consideration type thing um or if it's more they're using using visual search at the last step of their journey to purchase and it might be across it very well could be across all of those but um, i think there's just more learning and testing that we need to do there yeah, I think it's obvious that Google is also still in the experimentation phase here, and they're still trying to figure out use cases. Um, and I, I think that they're just going to keep creating new products and new use cases and, and seeing what people gravitate towards. I think that the visual search is, is separate from AR, I think, is something that, you know, as we've been saying, is probably going to break out in the near future as, uh, as a useful tool that people use on, the reg on a regular basis. Um, AR, I think, uh, it still needs to justify some of its reason <laughs> reason for existing right now. But a big shark isn't a big <laughs> shark isn't enough, Adam, for you. Um, all right, well that's great. Well, so I think we should move straight into um, the next major announcement, which was all the different Google Assistant updates. Um, so as I think Adam, you mentioned previously that uh, the Google Assistant on the next gen, or like I, I guess they're calling it the next gen Assistant, is now ten times faster. 
um, which is pretty incredible. And uh, it seemed like their overarching message was that you'll never have to text again. Like texting on your phone will seem slow compared to using your voice. Yeah, I think that they were talking about navigation. That was the demo that, that okay. they, they showed off, was that rather than closing, switching between apps by tapping on your phone and doing things inside the app by tapping on your phone, you're doing it via voice. Um, and it was super fast. It was very impressive how quickly it was processing what she was saying and moving between apps and for, um, copying photos between apps and, and sending photos and stuff. Um, but I think the thing that they're missing, and I think the big barrier to using our phones this way, is just the the cultural use of your voice, where uh, I know that this is not true in some parts of the world. In some parts of the world, people will just talk out loud at their phones all the time, and they, they probably will love using their phones this way. Um, in America and Europe and a lot of the West, uh, a lot of people are not going to do this because uh, they don't want everybody around them to know what they're doing on their phone. And right. also, it's just it's just would be seen as, as uh, socially awkward, um, e- even if you didn't care about the privacy concerns of people knowing what you're doing. Right. I feel like you know, like Google's missing their like they have the Pixel Buds, but like like they're missing like their AirPods competitor to kind of make this more natural. Because it seems like AirPods yeah. are fine. It's like you put the AirPods in, you can shout into the void, and it's people. Well, oh, he, well he's I on the disag- phone. Yeah, she's I, on the phone. I disagree. I also don't see a lot of people using Siri with their AirPods either. I see a lot of people with AirPods and very few people talking to them, um, unless they're actually on a phone call. So I think that there's there is a cultural thing around speaking out loud in public when you're not having a conversation with somebody. Um, and I think that that is the thing that's holding it back. Certainly I agree that having something like AirPods for Android would go a long way um, towards helping the situation. Right. Um, but I also, I don't, I don't think that it's, I, I don't think that that is the sole thing that's holding it back. You know what this reminds me of? I feel like, Seven years ago, it was culturally unacceptable to have your phone on the table while you were at dinner. And now I go out to dinner and people are using their phones while I'm talking to them and everyone has their phone on the table, basically except for me. But it it could be, I could see AirPods evolving kind of in the same way where it, it feels weird to do. And then as more people do it, there's like a tipping point where it's just cultural mainstream yep i i agree I, i'm not saying that that's not going to change i just think that right now it's not something that people are comfortable doing totally um and I, the other thing that i should call out and they didn't this is someplace that they didn't even talk about this but we also know especially on low lower end android phones as they they didn't talk about it in this section but there are a lot of people if you can't read using a smartphone with your voice is the best way to use it, period. So this, even though this will be a higher-end phone feature now, eventually this helps them a lot in developing markets where people um, just can't read the interfaces on their phones either. Like, it's that feature where it reads the sign is great, but how do you even know where on your phone to find that feature unless, you know, someone shows you? So it's the end of literacy? I don't know if it's the end of literacy. I think emoji have probably had more yeah. to do with that. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, th- I do think that it's removing literacy as a barrier to accessing information. And I think that that is something that Google is very well positioned to do in both from a business perspective and from a technology perspective. Which mm-hmm. also has major cultural implications if you think about mm-hmm. who you could bring into the workforce and who you can train to work on solutions for major health crises. And 100%. Stuff like that. Um, I think we know that everybody 
uh, like Apple and Facebook and all of them are working on AR glasses. Like I think this is just like like that next step. You know, once somebody has the actual glasses to in a sense see for them to translate for them and the actual assistant to then speak for them. Um, you know, like I said, that just increased accessibility, you know, around the globe um, for everyone. But again, it kind of started at a high price and work its way down. But yeah. And the glasses also, I think, might be a tipping point in terms of this speaking out loud in public, because when you have something in front of your your eyes, it will make it feel more private to you. Also, yeah. you can block out all the haters. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Siri, just block the faces of anybody who uh, oh, I just triggered Siri. <laughs> of anybody who's looking at me giving me a weird look <laughs> um no that's great so they have also mentioned that google assistant will be coming to Waze, uh which i thought was pretty exciting uh but not not surprising considering that google owns Waze. it's coming in the summer uh, as well as their new driving mode uh, which will uh, allow individuals in the car a, to have a special dashboard that is enabled by saying like, hey, Google, go to driving mode and it's larger text, bigger block patterns. Um, so it's kind of easier for when you're driving to navigate your phone. Um, but I kind of thought for a second, hopefully that you're just using your voice for the, like the entire thing because it seems like that, that would raise some safety concerns if you're trying to tap your phone. Well, I mean, people use things in their dashboards also. The, the entire thing was to try to make it safer and easier while you're, you are using your phone. I think that one thing they didn't talk about at all is how Assistant will integrate with Waze, but I think there is the potential to um, perhaps for, uh, for voice-activated um, ads to be part of that since Waze does have ad experiences. Mm -hmm. um, even the ability to be able to have one of those ads triggered at some point when you're at a stoplight, for example, and then be able to use Google Assistant to remind you about it later. Something like that could potentially be very useful. That would be interesting. We know the technology is out there. Pandora is experimenting with kind of like that call to action uh, voice activated ad in their in their streams right now. So that'd be interesting to kind of bring that same sort of form factor into the into the car, kind of change what it is to, um, to maybe listen to, oh, excuse me, like now some music, but again, work with, work with ways. Um, that's great. I mean, is there anything else that you guys thought like should we, we should call out from like an assistant perspective? Um, uh, one other notable thing is um, Google Duplex for the web. Um, so Duplex was the technology that they announced at I.O. last year, and it took a while to roll out, but now it's at, in 44 states around the country um, that lets you use Google Assistant sort of facing externally. So if you want to make a reservation at a restaurant and they don't have online booking, Assistant will place a phone call to the restaurant and make the reservation for you and then add it to your calendar. Um, one thing they announced this year is um, a Google Duplex for the web, for specifically for rental cars and movie tickets. <laughs> it's very specific categories uh, where uh, you can Google Assistant will. It's basically like a smart auto autofill that is powered by Google Assistant. Where, for example, you ask it to make a rental car reservation for you, and it basically autofills all of the information based on your, obviously your, your name and address, but also things like your upcoming travel dates um, and times that your flights get in and, and whether you need a car seat and things like that. Um, and it's basically autofilling it for you while you watch, um, which I thought was kind of interesting. And then you just confirm it all at the end. It's literally showing you what it's doing while it's doing it, um, which is kind of an interesting user model. But um, yeah, it's a, a, a new feature for Assistant and something that will uh, clearly be powered by Google's knowledge of how the web works and indexing those sites already. 
Um, and then obviously leveraging all of the data Google has on the person who is making the request. Right. Yeah. I, you know, I think this goes, it goes back to them saying, you know, here's, here's why we're collecting all this information across the web because it's, here's a clear use case uh, to make it easier and more beneficial for you everyday consumer. Um, so don't, don't be mad at Google for like collecting all this data. <laughs> um, but I, I mean, again, like we'll see how or when that rolls out. Uh, but we do know Google duplex voice is actually out now. It's across 40 different States, I believe currently. Yes. Um, so just kind of, TBD on when the Google Duplex for web will be rolling out and if and what will happen from a, you know, maybe like a more interesting media perspective. Um, so with that, I think we should just transition straight into the smart home, which Google is now calling the helpful home. Uh, Christina, I would love to get your thoughts and opinions on this new positioning that Google uh, has rolled out for their smart home line. So they released a new, bigger smart screen called the Nest Hub Max. Um, it's a bigger version of their hub device. Um, they talk about it as being, it has also a camera that users can conveniently turn off by uh, flipping a switch in the back of the device. Um, but it's the use cases that we've seen it uh, work for are things like pulling up recipes in the kitchen. Um, I think that I have yet to see data on how users are using smart screens to date. Um, I think we're still trying to work out how, where consumers will use these, how they'll use them, um, if they are valuable. But I certainly have seen a number roll out. Um, I think the camera is an interesting feature as well for voice calling or sorry, video calling. Mm -hmm. um, and I, the, the feature that's really nice about it is the voice um, technology is able to recognize who is speaking, who in a household is speaking to the device and is able to understand if Adam and I in some dream world live together, <laughs> it can understand Adam's voice and use that to pull up data from his calendar and his mail, for example, and it can parse that from mine, um, which, so the multi-user functionality is also um, pretty cool. Yeah, no, I agree. It's the, the I, you know, I look at this, right, and they've kind of combined all of their different products into one, which was like the Home Hub, the Google Home Max, uh, like with all combined with their assistant, it's now all totally under the actual Nest branding, so all Google products will now all Google smart home products are now Nest products. That's not actually true. Oh, no? <laughs> nope. The branding is super confusing just because they can't seem to make a decision on what to call them. So the new product is called the Nest Hub Max, um, and the smaller version will be rebranded as the Nest Home Hub, uh, but the speakers will continue to be called Google Home and Google Home Mini. Uh, okay, that is super confusing. Uh I swear on stage they said everything will now be under the Nest logo. That is not what they told The Verge, and the website doesn't even reflect what they told The Verge, so it's very confusing. <laughs> but they are currently on their website using both brands, and The Verge said that uh, the speakers will still be branded Google. So, While I see how that is confusing <laughs> to consumers, which at the end of the day should technically be the deciding factor... I do see why they would do something like that. I think something that is um, voice-based, that's using search results to give you the best recommendation or the best result, 
makes sense that Google would power that. I think something that is camera enabled, um, there might be bigger privacy or data concerns with Google getting that information. Um, whereas Nest has a legacy of camera technology and home security. So a consumer might feel safer. That said, I think the brand architecture is confusing. And if it's not easy to shop, um, that could be certainly a barrier. Yeah, I mean, I, I actually, like all of these companies, all tech companies have weird naming things that happen occasionally, especially when they're transitioning. I don't, I think it's going to be fine, but I think the reality is everybody's going to keep calling it a Google Home Hub Max or the big Google Home Hub more likely. Yeah. <laughs> and like, I, I think it's actually going to take them, if they do want to use the Nest brand for any of this, it's going to take them a really long time to convince people to call it Nest. So it kind of doesn't matter. Yeah. Well, Google I mean, Home Hub Max is such a mouthful also. Yeah. Well, Google or Nest Hub, Hub Max. Max is is not better. The Max <laughs> is basically not the. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> well, I I the com you know complexing naming conventions aside, I want to know your thoughts on this new positioning from Google going from the smart home to the helpful home. It feels to me like a branding thing. I think what we've seen in the connected home to date is. Everything can be connected to the internet. Everything can be connected to voice, but they don't necessarily speak to each other. And so potentially there could be the next iteration of smart home is helpful home and helpful being that it understands your usage patterns. It understands other data inputs from the rest of the devices or platforms that you interact with. And then the device, the connected home appliances or lights or locks or whatever also speak to each other. Um, I don't know if that's what their clear intention is. Between It could be kind of a branding and messaging thing, but I could see that as being something where they iterate on and use helpful to define these kind of more personalized, more tailored um, home experiences that are more helpful to consumers. Yeah, I think it's a positioning thing around trying to capture uh, whoever is next in terms of smart home adoption. Um, I think that everybody who was at all curious uh, and, and at all an early adopter already has adopted some of these technologies. And Google knows that they need to can start selling the idea to people in a more proactive way. And I think that that's what the helpful positioning is around. Um, the, the Hub Max is certainly not the thing that's going to do that because it's going to it's clearly meant for people who already understand what this is for and want to invest in the larger screen because they maybe already have one of the smaller ones and they love it or they are replacing just a standalone speaker and they're like, oh, I might as well get the big one because I want to use it for video calling as well. Um, it's clearly not a the first smart home product that anybody's going to own. Um, so it's interesting that they talked about that without introducing products designed to address that market. Now you can say that the Google Home Mini is really designed to address that market, but they didn't update that product. They also didn't update the standalone Google Home speaker. So I think that there's, it's interesting to hear that positioning change at the same time as they're not really addressing that part of the market. They're still addressing the, the people who are already bought in. And I think that's actually especially interesting with if you put it next to the hardware, the other hardware that they did announce, which was the Pixel 3a, which is clearly designed to try to get premium smartphone uh, features in front of uh, a larger audience by being less expensive. I think put together, those two things are a little interesting. 
one of them is clearly designed to expand the market. Right. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I look at this and I just, I my initial thoughts were, it's like, okay, you know, now it's like we know, all right, I guess it's, it's more, clearly defi- like more clearly defined what these products are going to be used for. Because like we had the whole branding of smart, this era of like ambiguity and trying to figure out what some of these use cases might be. And to me, it seems like this is Google recognizing or understanding. It's like, hey, okay, this is where we've found the most, I guess, use cases and it's like helping people do day-to-day tasks, like helping people in their home kind of just, in a sense, take away that burden of like human capital or human labor that we put out there and like these assistants are going to take over for it. So to me, it, it, it just seemed like they've kind of locked on to maybe like uh, this like more, um, they've like locked into like a use case and the use case is going to be like, we're going to really help you automate your day. So kind of like this branding is like makes that more clear to consumers that like this is where we're taking our products yeah, it's like they're doing the boring stuff that you don't want to do. Yeah, yep. And exactly. in that way, it's helpful. Yeah, like I, yep. like they. I was just remembering that um, that campaign, "Make Google Do It," that they did, which I thought was really great. Uh, I one big question around a lot of these things that I have, and that I think a lot of people still have, and research has shown that uh, I think is still a big question is how many of these more advanced features do people even know about? Certainly, if you're buying a Google. Sorry, a Nest Hub Max. (laughs) (laughs) I would hope that you uh, sort of are, at this point, you're probably the kind of person that will explore all the features. Uh, But when when they start adding more and more stuff to Google Assistant, um, such as the ability to book rental cars um, through National, uh, how many consumers will know that that is even possible and even know to ask Google Assistant for that? The education around voice assistance is still like a big unknown in terms of how we communicate new functionality. Um, and I think, you know, that is obviously even super advanced. Like, let's go back a year ago to the original duplex announcement. How many consumers know that uh, Google Assistant can get them reservations at a restaurant that doesn't take online reservations or um, hairstylists that don't take online reservations? How many of those consumers know that uh, is even capable um, who have devices that are capable of doing it today? It's a good question. Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, e-marketer, if you're listening to this, go, <laughs> go do some uh, go do some research for us. Well, and uh, Google obviously knows the the answer to that because they know how many people have actually done it. Um, but I, those numbers have to be minuscule. I mean, we, right. we see the 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 breakdown of usage of smart speakers and doing anything other than music is very uh, and and basic questions and weather very small. So asking Google Assistant even on your phone to make a restaurant reservation for you. That has to be vanishingly small. The number of people who have ever done it. Well, I would I would love to say that I have done it, uh, but knowing that I got my iOS device, I am ineligible. I want to uh, wrap up today with uh, our last section here, uh, all about podcasting. Uh, very briefly, because we are doing a podcast, so I think it's great to, to mention. Uh, Google, uh, at, during their keynote address, actually mentioned podcasting five different times throughout the entire uh, like hour and 45 minute uh, keynote address, which I thought was a first and never heard, never heard the term podcasting mentioned so many times uh, in a keynote. Um, but last year they had mentioned that podcasts uh, will be surfaced within Google search results when they announced their uh, new Google po- podcast product. Uh, so this is kind of them just resurfacing that. We still haven't seen these um, search results with uh, podcasting in them yet. However, uh, what they did mention was that it's going to be actually based off not only the metadata, so like the episode titles and the descriptions of the podcast themselves, but the context or the content within the episode. Um, so it seems like they're going to have to be transcribing 
just 700,000 different podcasts or maybe like the, you know, top thousand podcasts to actually surface these results. Um, but just interesting to see how, you know, like they are kind of putting shining a little light on podcasting. And again, just a, one more thing they're adding to change or improve, you know, this evolution of search and what Google can offer. It's a very Google thing to do. It's just throw throw computing power at it. <laughs> um, I mean, they they kept you know the, so much of the the uh, keynote was involving voice services. It clearly, voice um, recognition is a huge area of research for them, and they're they're at I think the front of the pack in terms of technology. So it's just applying that to audio files instead of live input. And I think it speaks to. Um, in theory, there's probably an increased number of searches on Google for podcasts, right? Which is a proxy for consumer attention shifting to podcasts. I think podcasts, um, last year we kind of thought of it as not even an emerging tech, almost like a, a little bit post-emerging tech. Um, now it's kind of in the forefront as this robust media platform where there's a lot of attention on it. There's even more robust measurement capabilities. And I think Google doubling down on surfacing these results this way speaks to that. Yeah, and of course, podcasting is an advertising-supported medium. And uh, even though right now there are no Google ad products for podcasts, I wouldn't be surprised if that was somewhere in the pipeline as well. Yeah. Well, I think that's a great take or a great segue straight into our brand takeaway. So looking at all the things that were announced at this year's Google I.O., from the camera to the podcasting to the you know different AR features and functionalities and the smart home devices, um, what are some things that brands should be thinking about um, as we transition into like the second half of the year of uh, 2019? Uh, one big thing is 3D assets yes. For, uh, yes. For, <laughs> for AR in search. We've been uh, ringing this bell uh, for years now at the lab of just having uh, AR assets of your products and um, branding sort of ready to go. Um, and we have been recommending Sketchfab for years, and they are the official partner of the yes, they are uh, of the 3D models in uh, in Google Search. So that's uh, glad that all played out the way that we were hoping. Yeah. It would. <laughs> but uh, if if ever there was a time, uh, certainly Google adding something to their core product of search, uh, that is, I think, the time for brands to start um, really investing in it. Can you tell us a little bit more if a brand was interested in cataloging their visual assets and 3D assets? How would that work? That's a question for their agency and their agency can find the right partners. Yeah, I believe Sketchfab can actually help generate the models, um, but yep. it's also something that you might want to work with your agency to do because uh, they might have some already, especially if you've used them uh, in uh, creative for commercials or video uh, content. Uh, there's probably somebody at some agency you're already working with who has some 3D assets to start with. Yeah, absolutely. And you don't. Um, Sketchfab can build those models for you. Uh, that is part of their offering, not only hosting, but also hiring somebody to make that happen for you. Uh, Christina, what, what about yourself? What are some uh, takeaways that you think a brand should be thinking about? Yeah, I think thinking about the connected home, it's really thinking about how voice-activated speakers and even smart screens can play a part in the consumer journey. I think thinking about those things in isolation is probably not the right way to be going about it, but as touch points fragment and increase across the purchase journey. I think thinking about voice and visual and screens as other touch points and designing experiences or connected experiences that are connected across the purchase funnel using those different touch points, I think um, are good ways to 
keep engaging with consumers as attention shifts across these platforms. Yeah, absolutely. And, and like, I think my, my one takeaway here is, uh, I think I'm, I'm kind of saying it throughout the entire episode is that it just seems like there's at least from Google itself, like they, they have a big focus on how to make all of their products super useful. And I think when it came to especially AR and like you said, the uh, voice, like voice assistance, what consumers are doing today is really based and rooted in utility. How can you as a brand, you know, where do you fit into their day to day and how can you help, um, you know, build a product that would help with a, a consumer's day to day? I think that's like the first or I think that's the right way to be thinking about some of these products. Um, today currently when it comes to AR uh, as well as um, you know like the different voice assistants that are out there um, great well with that do you guys have anything else you'd like to say about Google I.O. no nothing all right well uh, with that we'll be back the week of June 6th I believe uh, for WWDC which is Apple's developer event so uh, look for another episode coming your way uh, but until then if you're looking for more great content please check out our website ipglab.com from there you can subscribe to our weekly newsletter as well as access our medium blog you can follow us on social at ipglab that's for twitter and instagram and if you like what you hear share tell your friends give us re a review on itunes or excuse me apple Podcasts. Uh, whatever you can do that'd be great so thank you and we'll see you soon